0: College life at Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9:45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message.
1: Hello, hello. We're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're new. Please fill out a connect card in the center of the table because we want to get to know you. Um, And we will always have uh, breakfast, coffee, Bible teaching, and discussion at these round tables. So this is very typical. You'll know what to expect if you show up next week. This is Wildwood Church's college ministry. um, And we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. That is our mission statement here. And one of the ways we follow Jesus is into his word. So one of the key scriptures for today is going to be uh, 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work.
0: Welcome, guys. My name is Kevin Chote. I'm the college pastor here, and we are going to dive right into it, and we are starting a brand new series called Bible Study Boot Camp, and the goal of this series is to help you guys discover the truth in Scripture, okay? That is the goal of this series. There are a lot of hurdles that we face in Bible study, and I hope to address those in this series, okay? And you know, boot camp, why are we calling that? Well, boot camp is a training camp for new recruits, okay? It's about training a new discipline, and scripture reading is a spiritual discipline, okay? And so we'll be covering a wide range of topics in this series, but they will all center around Bible study, okay? Now, this morning, I'd like to kind of dive in into why we're going through a series like this, and I think they're is a problem that we all have faced in the past, face currently, or will face in the future regarding Bible study. And that is a lack of conviction that scripture is foundational to the spiritual life. And we either believe that explicitly in the sense of, I don't know if I can trust what's in this book, or implicitly, I simply don't read it. Because if we believe that scripture is foundational to the spiritual life, then it would manifest itself in actions, correct? If we believe that is integral, if it is foundational to following Jesus, then our life would reflect someone who is reading scripture regularly, right? And so we have have this problem where we believe either implicitly or explicitly how foundational scripture is. And my goal this morning is to see that God's word, the Holy Bible, is foundational to knowing, trusting, and obeying God. Okay? And this morning I hope we can see a few, three, three few key aspects regarding Bi- the, uh, the Holy Bible. And we'll see that God's word is one, revelation, two, true, and three, authoritative. Okay? And we are gonna go deep in each one of these things. Um, but I hope that by looking at these things, at the end of today, we won't just have more head knowledge because that is never the goal. We are all about spiritual transfer transformation, okay? And we hope, uh, you know, in praying through this series that this would instead motivate you and persuade you to read God's word regularly and live out the truth that scripture is foundational to knowing, trusting, and obeying God, okay? And so, I wanted to begin this morning with a question. Who here has seen the Wizard of Oz? Yeah? Anybody? Okay. Who likes the Wizard of Oz? Oh, really? I didn't know people liked that movie. Uh, <laughs> so The Wizard of Oz, super old movie, right? And basically it's got Dorothy and her gang of, of weird people in weird costumes. And they are going down the yellow brick road, road to the Emerald City, and they are trying to get a conversation with the wizard. And their goal is to basically get the, the, basically the thing that they want most, right? Dorothy wants to go home. The lion wants courage. Uh, the other two want something else. Uh, but basically, they get to this point, right? The climax of the story is they're in the wizard's chamber, right? The room, and they see the big head, and the wizard is talking to them. And then, you know, they're talking to the wizard back and forth, and then all of a sudden, the camera pans over to Toto, Dorothy's dog, and she goes over to the curtain, right? And, and Toto pulls back this curtain. And what was so mysterious about the wizard was no longer mysterious. What was unknowable about this incredible magical wizard was no longer unknowable. There was an unveiling of who the wizard really was. And essentially, he became accessible. And that's really what we're getting at with this idea of revelation. I know that can kind of be a big spiritual word, but basically it comes down to this idea of an un. Veiling or pulling back of the curtain. And so God's word or the Bible is God's revelation to us about himself, okay? It is about him from him, okay? And similarly to the wizard and the unveiling of the curtain, the Bible is God's way of himself, of him making himself known to us. The Bible is God's way of making himself known to us today. And as revelation, it is from God, about God, and ultimately, the story of Scripture, from Scripture to Revelation, we see a uniform narrative that ultimately reveals God, and it climactically and perfectly is complete through the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay? And in fact, in John, uh, the first chapter, right, in the Word was the beginning, and the beginning was God, and the beginning was God or, and the word was with God, the word actually is representing Jesus Christ, and it's actually the same word that we use to describe uh, God's word, okay? God's word. It's this uh, logos, okay? That's the Greek word, and basically it means revealing. It means understanding. It means peeling back the curtain and knowing God. So why is Jesus referred to as logos there? Well, it reveals who God is perfectly in Christ, right? So, W.A. Criswell, he is a two-time president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he is the uh, namesake of uh, Criswell College, and this is what he says about Revelation, okay? He says, you wouldn't know God without the book. You wouldn't know Jesus Christ, not even his name, without the book. You'd have no assurance of salvation or of heaven without the book. Our whole life and hope lies in the promise and assurance and revelation of the Lord God written here in the book, okay? So we see that revelation is about God, but the other characteristic is that revelation is from God. God's Word, the Bible, is divinely produced, okay? So what does the Bible say about this phenomenon, that it's divinely produced or that it's originated from God? Well, in 2 Peter 1:19 through 21, it talks about this, okay? So Peter In referencing the Old Testament prophets, this is what he has to say about the Old Testament scriptures. He says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you'll do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And I really want to focus on this last section, right? Prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter, who was commissioned by Jesus to be his representative, was given authority to define and to teach truth. So Jesus actually calls him the rock of the church the foundation of the church. And so Jesus was essentially entrusting Peter with the church, God himself entrusting Peter to define and teach truth, okay? And so in this passage, he describes scripture like this, prophets though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this phrase right here, carried along, it is so significant because it gives us an idea of what it is describing in that how this scripture was basically how it arrived to us today okay and it's actually a nautical one okay so it, it can, some translations actually say moved but this idea is a nautical term in which it was moved along maybe uh, by by the wind okay so imagine a boat it's in the ocean and you've got sails okay the boat is not moving itself but it is being carried along by the wind That's what's happening here. That's what Peter is trying to define. So the biblical writers, okay, the people who wrote our Scripture, were guided in their writing to go where God wanted them to go, and they produced what God wanted them to produce. I'll say that again. The biblical writers were guided in their writing to go where God wanted them to go and produced what God wanted them to produce. He also says in this passage that the prophets... Did not just make up the messages and portray them as God, but Peter's, Peter affirms here that they are in fact from God. And this isn't a new idea, okay, that the New Testament just like kind of made up and retroactively made the Old Testament God's word. But the prophets say this themselves, okay? So um, prophets consistently, if you've read any of them, they'll often say something like, thus says the Lord, right? That a prophet... Oftentimes we think of them as future tellers or, man, they were predicting the future. But actually the, de- the proper definition of a prophet is a mouthpiece for God. A mouthpiece for God. They are speaking on behalf of God. And so Micah, he wrote, For the Lord God Almighty has spoken. Jeremiah said, These are the words the Lord spoke. Isaiah said, The Lord spoke to me and he said, Amos said, hear the word the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel. And David said, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. So here we see that Peter not only affirms the Old Testament as God's word, but the, OT, the Old Testament itself and Jesus and Peter's words also attest to that. But is it just the apostles, or is it just Peter, Jesus, and the prophets that count? Well, Paul would say something different, okay, and that's in Second Timothy, three fifteen through seventeen, and Paul describes it like this, okay. If you're needing a memory verse for today, this is the one. Second uh, Timothy three fifteen through seventeen says, "And how from infancy you have known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting." and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. okay? So in this passage, the key phrase is God breathes, right? Uh, And it has this impression, when we look at the the word there, it has this impression that scriptures are divinely divinely produced, not divinely um, just uh, basically, it's not this idea that they were just like Man, I really had a good time with God. I'm going to talk about it. But that they are, in fact, originating from God himself. Just as God breathed life into mankind, just as God breathed life into creation, he breathed life into Scripture. Okay? You tracking with me today? So see this passage right here? This is the linchpin for our view on Scripture. Okay? We see that it is from God. We believe here at Wildwood through the study of scripture and what it says about itself that the bible is verbally inspired okay that's the word that we use inspired verbally inspired meaning that the work of the holy spirit is so intense that each word is the exact word that god wants used at that point to express the message okay it is the exact word god wants to use so to wrap up god is the source of inspiration the very words, not just the ideas, the very words are the product of inspiration. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit is the agent of inspiration, okay? So the Holy Spirit is what is guiding these biblical authors to write exactly what they are supposed to write. A good definition and one kind of accepted um, here at Wildwood that we, that we kind of use to define this idea is from Charles, Ry- Charles Ryrie, that's a hard name to say. But this guy, he was a a DTS systematic theology professor for a long time and actually influenced a large subsect of people on how you read your Bible, okay? And really about this idea of redemptive history. But in this quote, he says, inspiration is the act by which God superintended the human authors of the Bible so that they composed and recorded without error his message to mankind in the words of their original writings, Okay, and I have like a little definition for superintendent. I know it's a little big, but basically it's the idea that God was managing and he was attending to what was being written down in his scriptures and he was protecting it, okay? So God supernaturally used the writers of these books to write the words without compromising the perfection, the integrity or purity of the finished product. And finally, but most importantly, Jesus affirms the nature of Scripture, okay? Jesus himself affirms the nature of Scripture. In John 10, 35, Jesus' quote is quoted as saying, the Scripture cannot be broken. And this idea is basically the Scriptures cannot be loosened. They cannot be changed. They cannot be manipulated. So what Jesus is saying here, and he is being bold in saying that, hey, it's exactly how it's supposed to be, okay? This phrasing is basically affirming to the truthfulness and the inspiration that is scripture, okay? But this idea that scripture originated from God and the logical next step, which we'll dis- discuss next, is that it is true. <laughs> so one of the questions you might be asking is, Kevin, why did you spend so much time talking about uh, the inspiration of scripture or why it originated from God, why it was divinely produced? And well, you know, there's some, there some people who might say, Oh, scripture, like whatever, that's just someone's opinion, man. That's just someone's opinion, man. But really, what, it's, it's from God, okay? That was a big Lebowski quote, by the way. Uh, okay, cool. Thank you, Braden. Uh, but essentially, it's not just someone's opinion. It's God's opinion, okay? That should, that should be a big deal to us. That should be a big deal to us. It's not just this random person's opinion from 2,000 years ago that's outdated, but it is God's opinion, OK, so God doesn't change. And if he doesn't change, then neither does truth, his truth. OK, so the next characteristic we're going to be looking about looking at is uh, we saw that it's from God. But now we're going to see if it's true. OK, we looked at the the origin and now we're going to look at the content. OK, and we're going to look at what scripture, if it att- what it attests, if it's true. OK, and then we're going to look at church history and then finally, we're going to see if the Bible has manuscript authority, okay? If, it, if the copy of the Bible that we have today, is it reliable, is it trustworthy? You, you might say, you know, I believe it used to be true, but it's been copied down so many times, I don't know if I can trust it. Well, we're going to kind of walk through that today. But the core of this idea, the Bible is true, is that the Bible teaches truth, okay? The Bible teaches truth. This is the logical next step. If it is from God, then we can assume that it teaches truth. And if we, if we subscribe to the idea that Scripture is from God, then it makes sense. And if we, if we believe that God is holy and perfect, then he can't lie. He can't, that is outside of his character. Okay, He cannot lie. Therefore, his word is true. His word is true. So inerrancy, which is the doctrine we're going to talk about with the Bible being true, this is the logical child of inspiration, okay? So if it is from God, then we can deduce that it is true, right? So Paul Feinberg, he is a longtime systematic theology and philosophy professor. Gosh, stumbling over my words today. Uh, Professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, or TEDS, okay? And he defines inerrancy this way. He says, inerrancy is the view that when all the facts become known, they will demonstrate that the Bible, in its original autographs or its original letters, uh, incorrectly interpreted, is entirely true and never false in all that it affirms, <clears throat> whether that relates to doctrine or act- ethics or to the social, physical, or life sciences. So, in other words, the Bible is not mostly true, the Bible is not partly true or merely partially inerrant. This doctrine affirms, and this is Wildwood's doctrine, that we have a Bible that is trustworthy. We have a Bible that is reliable, and it's without error in its original form. But our basis for theology, and any theological idea, is that the Bible teaches it, right? Our any basis for any theological position that we have, is that the Bible teaches it. And one thing that we can't miss is that the that Jesus, the prophets, and the apostles all say that scripture is true. So let's look at that. John 17, 17 is a passage in which Jesus is referring to the Old Testament. Okay, So some of you in this room might say, Kevin, I like that Jesus guy. He's really nice. I don't like the Old Testament. I do not like the God of the Old Testament. He's crazy. Okay, But Jesus right here, he is about to affirm all of those books, even Deuteronomy, even Second Chronicles. Some of you in this room did not know there was a Second Chronicles. There is, I promise, okay? But verse 17 in John, Jesus, this is what he says about the Old Testament, okay? He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, okay? So here we see Jesus affirm the truth of what we have already seen him claim as God's word. So he's already claimed that it's from God, but here he is saying that it is true. Your word is truth. And if we break down the text, if we break it down word for word, it literally says God's revelation is objectively true in any matter under consideration. God's revelation is objectively true in any matter under consideration. Jesus affirms the validity of Scripture. And this passage shows his view of Scripture. Now, I'm going to ask you guys a tough question, okay? I'm going to ask you a really tough question. I don't mean this like tongue-in-cheek, but, but legitimately ask it yourself, okay? How could we claim to follow Jesus and then say we are unwilling to adopt his own conviction about Scripture? How honestly crazy is it to say, I follow Jesus, but I know better than he does? How, that, that, is so, that is a risky position, guys. That is a risky position to say, I know better than Jesus, the Son of God, the revelation of God himself, that we can see God through Christ. He is, he is affirming this truth, and we could say, I know better than you? That's risky. And the Old Testament this time is the same Old Testament that we have, okay? It was compiled centuries before Jesus was even born, and we know that the Old Testament he is referencing is the same one That we have today. Okay? So, Augustine, not Augustine, he's a church father from the 300s, and he describes uh, the truth of Scripture this way, in particular, this section of Scripture. So, he says, This mediator, Jesus Christ, having spoken what he judged sufficient, first by the prophets, so he's saying what they said is true, then by his own lips, what he says is true, and afterwards by the apostles, he commissions the apostles to define and teach truth. Has besides produced the Scripture, which is called canonical, canonical, not canonical. I don't know what that is, uh, which has paramount authority and to which we yield assent in all matters of which we ought not to be ignorant, and yet cannot know of ourselves. Yeah, that talks like a guy who's from the 300s, right? But basically, what he's saying at the end here, which we yield assent, is what we're going to talk about in a little bit. But essentially, it's this idea of submission. Okay, it's this idea that. I am yielding my agreement, okay, or my assent to what has already been said and what has already been revealed to us by the Holy Scriptures, okay? That that last phrase is an attitude of submission. So think about the picture of following Jesus, okay? Just in your mind, think about it. Following Jesus, what does that look like? Does that mean you only follow partially of what he says or some of what he says or maybe some of the things that you think sound good, but not others. No, think of following, the idea of following. You are no longer leading, you are following. Your steps are not guided by your own decisions, but they are guided by the one that is in front of you, right? So if we are following Jesus, we are submitting to his way. Do you see that picture? We are no longer deciding where our footsteps go, But because we are following Jesus, we are submitting to our own way, and we are following or submitting to his way. And that's not because Jesus wants to stifle us or limit us. It's because he loves us, and his way is better than our own way. Our God is an an all-knowing God. So wouldn't you want to know, or wouldn't you want to follow someone who knows all the answers? That's that's what I would want to do, okay? Furthermore, we see in Matthew four through 1-11, Jesus emphasizes that the actual written words of Scripture can be trusted, not just the ideas, okay? So you might say, I like some of the ideas of Scripture, but I don't really like, you know, some of the phrasing or some of the words might be a little too much for me. Well, Jesus in Matthew 4, 1-11, makes it very obvious when he's talking to the Pharisees that words matter. The letters matter, okay? Down to the letters of the sentence. He goes on in Matthew 5. He doubles down, okay? Matthew 5, 17 through 18. He says, not the least stroke of a pin will disappear before he returns, okay? So essentially what he's saying is not only are these words true and the letters and the very marks above the letters true, but I am going to preserve it until I come back, okay? Okay? And the apostle whom he built his church on, Peter, okay? What does he say? What does he say about Paul's letters, okay? So you might say, Jesus, I can trust him. Peter, I can trust him. The prophets, I can trust them. They're literally receiving the words from the Lord. But I don't know about that Paul guy. I like Jesus, but Paul, he's kind of a jerk, okay? Well, let's see what Peter, who they did not get along initially. Peter and Paul did not get along initially. Let's see what Peter has to say about Paul's letters, okay? 2 Peter three fifteen through 16 says this, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul, wow, called him a dear brother. Okay, also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters can say, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter is making an implicit distinction by lumping Paul's letters with all the other scriptures, okay? And when he uses that phrase scripture, he's saying this has integrity of being with the force of being from God himself. It has the fourth force of God's own speech, okay? So, he's telling people who he's addressing this letter to, listen to Paul. It's God's word, okay? So, but not only does Scripture attest to the truth found within itself, but you might be thinking, okay, first century, that was good, but man, there were people with a lot of agendas that had a lot of ideas, and, you know, maybe they twisted the words to get it to what they wanted to say. Well, we know by looking at church tradition, that would be very, very strange, okay? That would be very strange if we're looking at church tradition in which this idea of inerrancy, that Scripture is true, is not a new belief, okay? It's not a bunch of conservative old dudes got together and say, we need to make sure that people think this is authoritative. This has been a doctrine that is one of the most consistently held beliefs among the big C church for thousands of years, okay? This is something that has been held since the early church fathers, okay? This isn't some new thing. This is an old doctrine, okay? So, some of you think, man, first century, could trust that if I was there, but man, this is 2022. I don't know if I can believe that. Well, one of the church fathers, Gregory of Nazianzus, which I have no idea where that is, but I know he writes some good stuff, okay? He says this. We, however, who extend the accuracy of the spirit to the merest stroke in tittle, okay, tittle is like a Hebrew like, stroke, okay? will never admit the impious assertion that even the smallest matters were dealt with haphazard by those who have recorded to them. Those who have recorded them. So, impious assertion, what does that mean? He's like, Don't you dare make the claim that we did not care when we were copying this holy scripture. Don't you dare say that it did not matter to us. Don't you dare say that we didn't care, that we weren't careful. The church fathers recognized the truth and the power of the Holy Scripture, so they were protecting and preserving the words that we find in it. And we'll see that when we look at its manuscript authority, that that is very true, that the church cared about protecting, preserving Scripture. We see Augustine, who we talked about earlier, he says this. He's also in the 300s, like Gregory. He says, "'I've learned to yield this respect and honor only to the canonical, canonical books of Scripture.'" Of these alone do I most firmly believe that the authors were completely free from error. Okay? Completely free from error. Martin Luther, pioneer of the Protestant Reformation, heard of Lutheran churches, they're named after this guy, okay? He says, Natural reason produces error and heresy. Faith teaches and maintains the truth, for it clings to Scripture, which do not deceive or lie. If you need to take a picture of a slide, this is a good one. Okay? Natural reason produces error and heresy. Faith teaches and maintains the truth, for it clings to what? The scriptures, which do not deceive or lie. Once again, the big C church has nearly always held to the belief that the Bible is true, okay? This skepticism that we face today is new. It started in around the 1850s, okay? That's when it really started hitting, Okay. But before we get to our final point, I want to look at Scripture under the microscope, okay? My teaching pastor when I was uh, in Texas, Jarrett Stevens, he walked through this, and it was so beneficial and so helpful for me, um, and basically he asked, can we trust the copy that's in our hands today? Well, most scholars, when looking at the historicity or the validity of Scripture, puts the Bible under three major tests, and the one we're going to look at today is the bibliographical test, Okay. And it answers this question. Since we do not have the original, what they call autographs, or the actual, you know, ink and paper that Paul and Peter wrote on, how can we trust the copies that we have today? And how many do we have? And what is the interval between the earliest manuscript and the copies that we have? Okay? So in other words, what is the age of the copy? And how many do we have? If we want to determine the historicity of any ancient text, not just the Bible— It has to go under this test, okay? So we're going to look at a few ancient texts and how they test out, okay? Uh, So let me give you a few examples. We'll start with number one, Aristotle's Poetics, okay? This was written around 343 BC. We have no original autographs. The earliest copy we have is dated 1100 AD. So again, think age and number. The time gap is 1,400 years. 1,400 years. And the number of copies or manuscripts that we have is 49. Number two, we have Caesar's Gallic Wars. Once again, no original autograph. It was written somewhere between 50 and 60 B.C., and the earliest copy that we have is 900 A.D. That is nearly a 1,000 years between the original and the manuscript copy. Okay, so when the original was written and the earliest copy we have, what is the gap? A 1,000 years. And the number of copies we do have is 10. Okay, Now we're going to look at the Bible. <laughs> the Bible has no original autographs, but we have over 10,000 copies of the Old Testament and over 5,000 copies of the New Testament. The earliest copy we have, 280 A.D. The time gap is only 100 years between the autographs and the earliest copy. This is what you call very, very high manuscript authority. So do you know what comes in second place behind the Bible? I'm going to leave this one up so you can kind of compare as I'm saying. This is second place to the Bible. Homer's Iliad has no original autograph. It was written in 900 B.C. And the earliest copy we have is 400 B.C. That's a time gap of 500 years. How many copies do we have? 643. Compare that to 10,000 copies of the Old Testament and 5,000 copies of the New Testament. The church cared about preserving the text, preserving the Bible. They didn't handle it haphazardly. They knew it was important. Bruce Metzger, he is a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, and he's a foremost scholar of New Testament and Old Testament Greek. uh, Sorry, New Testament, Greek, and Old Testament. And he says this, The quantity of New Testament material is almost embarrassing in comparison with other works of antiquity. Dr. Craig Blomberg says, They have been preserved in far greater number and with much more care than any other ancient documents. See, the church was diligent in copying the Bible, and he concludes in his book, The Historical Reliability of the New Testament, that 97 to 99 percent of the New Testament can be reconstructed without reasonable doubt, okay? Now, Sir Kendrick uh, Frederick Kenyon, he's a former director and principal librarian of the British Museum, okay, so you're like, okay, Kevin, those are all Christians, this is, this is not, okay? He was a librarian of the British Museum, and he was an expert on ancient manuscripts. He says this, Concerning the manuscript authority of the New Testament, the interval between the dates of original composition and the earlier, earliest extant evidence be in fact negligible. And the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. We have been given in this word a gift, and it has been preserved by us, both by the church and by God himself. It passes this test. Now, the question that many skeptics ask is, what about the mistakes? What about the mistakes maybe in copying? Surely, those copies, men Made mistakes. You've probably seen this on TikTok, right? You've probably seen this on an Instagram reel. The Bible has all these mistakes. Well, Josh McDowell, his bestseller, More Than a Carp- Carpenter, he quotes a book called Reinventing Jesus, and this is what he writes concerning the perceived mistakes that so many people like to attribute to the Bible. He says this By far, the most significant number of variants is spelling differences. The name John, for example, may be spelled with one N or with 2. Clearly a variation of this sort in no way jeopardizes the meaning of the text. Spelling differences account for 75% of all variants. Now what about the other 25%? Well, he goes on to say that the other 25% of the textual variants has to do with such sorry, has to do with synonyms such as going to say he instead of lord. Okay? Or another name. There's no difference that actually threatens the meaning of the text. So what can we say? We can say more than any other ancient text, the Bible has been handled with the most care. Okay? We can trust the Bible. So with that being said, I want to go to application. You're like, okay, this is great, Kevin. This is a lot of knowledge. Well, I believe it's the foundation for this final point. Okay? And that's the Bible is authoritative. The Bible is authoritative. Bear with me, guys. We're wrapping up. The Bible... As the expression of God's will possesses the right, listen guys, it possesses the right to supremely define our beliefs and actions. If it is God's will, if it is God's words, if it has the force of the voice of God, then it has the right to supremely define our thoughts, our beliefs, and our actions. J.R. Packer, who you guys may know, he wrote the best-selling systematic theology, one of the best-selling systematic theology books of all time. He says, "'Its text is word-for-word God-given. Its message is an organic unity. The infallible word of an infallible God, a web of revealed truth centered upon Christ, must be interpreted in its natural sense. On the assumption of its inner harmony and its meaning can only be grasped by those who humbly seek and gladly receive the help of the Holy Spirit.'" We're going to talk about later in this series the, the role of the Holy Spirit in Bible study, okay? Because that is what reveals the truth in Scripture to us. So if Scripture is from God and it's true, then it must be the supreme authority of our life. It is, if it is from God and it is true, it's reliable. So it should be able to shape our beliefs and our actions, right, guys? It should be able to tell us how to live, and we can trust it because we know that it is from the Lord. So if we treat it as our authority, what are some things that can happen in our own life? What are some things that we can experience if we say, okay, I believe this is from God, I believe this is true, and I believe it has authority on my life. Not that it is controlling you, but you believe that it is an expert on the matter, right? It is an authority, and it has the power because it's from God. 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, So that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. So the Bible is essential to spiritual growth. Some of you say, Kevin, I have the Holy Spirit. Why do I need the Bible? Kevin, I trusted in Christ and I received the power of the Spirit. Why do I need the Bible? Well, guys, the Holy Spirit is not the only one that exists in spiritual matters. There's spiritual warfare at play, and the deceiver is trying to deceive you. So how are you, what is your barometer, what is your test for truth? If you say, this is a word from God, this is a word from the Spirit, you hear that in popular preachers. How are you going to test that? How are you going to, what are you going to compare that to? The Holy Spirit is never, ever going to be in contrast with his revealed word. If we believe that is God's word, then the Holy Spirit, if they are speaking to you, they're not going to go in contrast to what he's already revealed, right? Not going to go in contrast. So, when we look at it like spiritual milk, what does this mean? Well, like newborn babies, like babies, they need milk to grow. Well, if you want to grow in your faith, you need the word of God. That is your fuel, that is the foundation in which you're building your spiritual house, okay? It starts with scripture. That's how we know, love, and obey and trust God. Next, we see that is the key to spiritual maturity, okay? So, what's the difference? Well, spiritual maturity, it's not just knowledge, it's not just getting. Uh, more, more aware of spiritual matters, but spiritual maturity is being able to have a litmus test for what is going on in this life, what we're experiencing and saying, this is right, this is wrong. The Bible helps shape our thoughts, okay? So what does Hebrews 5, 11 to 14 say? We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So what is the hallmark of a spiritually mature person? Someone who is able to distinguish good from evil can say, God says this about this, right? I can see how knowing scripture can tell me and influence what is right from wrong. Lastly, the Bible is essential to spiritual effectiveness. It says this, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, right? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is profitable. Even Deuteronomy, Leviticus, 2 Chronicles, Paul's letters, Revelation, all of it is useful. All of it has a purpose. The Holy Spirit is the agent of transformation, but the Scripture is the vehicle to get there. So today we have seen that the Bible is Revelation. The Bible is from God and it's about God. We've also seen that the Bible is true and the meaning meaning that we can rely on it. Okay? It's a firm foundation. And finally, we saw that Scripture is authoritative. We submit to its ways, and we let it shape our thoughts, beliefs, and actions. And I, be- I believe today, if we believe these things, that we can better trust, obey, and know God. He's given a gift in this book, and we can know God through his revealed word. We can peel back the curtain and see him. So I have a question. Have you guys read any good books lately? We've got some announcements for you guys before we dismiss to worship. Uh, so... This is Bible Study Bootcamp. We hope that you guys, after this series, feel more equipped to study your Bible and find the truth found within it. Okay? So I encourage you guys, read your Bible. During this series, read your Bible and see what happens. See what happens. Okay? And we hope to help you guys. So we are going to be doing some giveaways starting next week in which we are giving away some Bible study tools to help you guys out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good. So, we got some of these scripture highlighters. Have you ever underlined a verse and it just bleeds through? Have you ever just highlighted a verse and you got two pages highlighted? Not anymore with the scripture highlighter. Have you ever wanted to write in your Bible but you don't have those fancy margins? You can't afford one of those fancy margin Bibles. Well, we got clear sticky notes. What? What? (laughs) Also, ESV study Bible. Okay? Fire. This thing is expensive as heck. Okay? Also, if you're like, man, how does Kevin know so much? I don't know anything. Okay? I just have good resources. Okay? So, uh, this is Warren Wearsby's Bible commentary. The big one's the Old Testament. Small one, if you can say that, is the New Testament. We're going to be giving that away as well. So, if you want any of this stuff, oh, we also have scripture journals for a few select books. Okay. So if you want any of this stuff, come back next week. Oh, oh. come back next week.
1: Yes. We would love to see you next week. And we'd love to get you plugged in, in a ton of different ways. Go to our Instagram at Wildwood College. And we have a link tree. It's also, we send all of the links in the group meet. But on that link tree, you can sign up to be discipled. You can join a small group. It's never too late to start coming to small groups. We have two girls' ones Tuesday, Wednesday, two guys' ones Wednesday, Thursday. Um, Please, please know that you're welcome and invited. Um, And you can also join the group me from that link tree in our bio.
0: Yes, a couple things on your table. You have some bookmarks, um, verses to know. Uh, just some, these are, these are foundational verses that we think will help you guys. It's got all the verses that I used today, which was a lot, um, but I hope it was beneficial and helpful for you guys. You can look at it in your own time. We have extras up here. Yeah, we have extras as well. And then uh, also in the next, uh, after next week, okay, we will not be meeting for two straight weeks, okay? So Baptism Sunday is on March 6th, where we will all together Celebrate baptism, There, I think are five or six college students getting baptized at the 11 o'clock service. So uh, come at 11 o'clock and then you know, grab your buddies and grab lunch. And then after that is the Sunday of spring break. Okay, So we will not have college life the Sunday of spring break. Okay? And then we will resume on March, uh, I believe that's 20th. Okay, wrap it up. Uh, so yeah. Anything else, Shanae? Uh,
1: Yes, we are uh, dropping the link to the application for our summer residency intensive next week. Very exciting. Five-week program, three days a week, nine to five. Um, We want to equip you and give you practical ministry experience. So apply for that. Um, That's going to be the latter half of this summer. Talk to us if you have any questions. Yeah, And And and
0: on that, just something to add, Um, You know, if you're like, man, I love, you know, college life, I love small group, but I really want to go deep, okay? I really want to learn and really uh, get into some of those nitty-gritty things that you can't really cover in an hour. Well, this is kind of what this is designed for, is it's the logical next step, and we hope that it'll commission you. To live on mission wherever God has you next okay so whether it's in the marketplace or in the church or the mission field or whatever this is to help equip you for that next step okay so we're being intentional in how we're designing it it's going to be multi-generational not just Shanae and myself but there will be other pastors involved as well this is to pour into college students for the next stage of your life yeah
1: also put on your calendar March 26th is our spring retreat and we'd love to see you there
0: yeah With that, uh, remember, we're for following Jesus together to the glory of God. Y'all are dismissed. See you guys. Love seeing you guys.